believe you brought your Bible tonight to church. Will you hold up the Word of God, if you will, for a moment? And I want to ask you to join me in the Gospel of John, chapter 20 tonight, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And we're going to look in on a service that took place on the Sunday night when, East, uh, when uh, the Lord Jesus had risen from the dead, that Sunday morning. Later on, there was a service that night. And uh, it may have just been a regular meeting, but it broke out into a church service. And uh, so we're going to talk about here, that here in John chapter 20, page number 1144. And we'll read the verses here in a moment. Don't forget our service on Wednesday night. We're working through those words now, and we're all the way down to the letter M this week. And I've got some words on my heart that I want to share with you all this week, good Bible words we ought to know as we live out these last days. So I hope you'll be here for that on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And thank you for being here. Thank you for bringing people to church with you this morning. Brother Mark was telling me about the numbers <clears throat> this morning. Boy, we had great crowds. I think if we'd had all the chairs in here this morning, uh, it would have looked like a, a, a Sunday morning <laughs> in here. And we had folks scattered out everywhere this morning. But uh, thank you for inviting people and, and reaching out to folks this week, having to come to church with you this morning. Well, let's read tonight the Gospel of John chapter 20. I want to begin reading verse 19 and just read down through verse 23. And if you'll leave your Bibles open, I want to go back in this text in a moment and just lift out three things from this text and share them with you tonight. Look at verse 19. The same day at evening. Now, of course, this is the same day that Jesus resurrected from the grave, the same day that the first 18 verses of this chapter are about. So the same day at evening being the uh, first day of the week. Can I just stop and give a little commentary on that? Uh, today is the first day of the week. And uh, Sunday is not the, you know, sometimes out of habit we call it the weekend. But really, you know, Sunday's the first day of the week. And so that's the reason that we ought to be in church on Sunday. Man, I want my week to go good. And uh, the best thing I can do to help my week to go good is to give God the first day of my week. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath. I know today's not the Sabbath. I get all that. But, uh, you know, that principle was laid down in the Old Testament that we ought to remember the Sabbath. So God had a day in the Old Testament for his people. And God has a day in the New Testament for his people. And that's the, the Lord's day, the first day of the week. And that's God's day. Somebody said, what about Wednesday night? Well, let me just say this. He demands our Sundays. He deserves our Wednesdays. Amen. And so just be here. I don't buy into this notion. People have slipped into this COVID notion. You know, they got into that habit of that one service a week or watching it on the computer or whatever. And now they're just one week, uh, one service a week people. And I hate it, but they've slipped into that mold, into that routine. And you and I know when you establish a routine in your life, it's hard to get out of it. And so we got some folks around here we need to pray for. People used to be here three times a week. Now they come one time a week, and that's on Sunday morning. You want names? That's what's happened. And uh, so they just got into that rut, into that routine, and it's happened. But I think we ought to be here on Sunday morning. But according to this text, man, I'm glad they were there on that Sunday night. You know, I, I got saved after, I didn't get saved in a service on Sunday night, but I got saved after a service on Sunday night. I'm so thankful our church has Sunday night service. We come down the road, and my wife's kind of dropping off food at different places, and we come down the road, and church parking lots was empty, and folks was out washing cars and mowing yards, and people were out playing cornhole. Nothing anything wrong with that, except it's the Lord's Day. 
Can I have an amen? It's the Lord's day. We don't mow our yards on Sunday. What are we doing? We don't wash the car. On, so we got six days to do all that. We say, man, I'm busy. Well, take it through the car wash, praise the Lord. But uh, we don't do that on Sunday. This is God's day. We honor the Lord on Sunday. You better say amen. I'll preach here. Oh, I'm kidding. Wash your car and hang your laundry out on the line and all that. Oh, are you kidding me? Not on the Lord's day. Where are we at now? Oh, tithing. Yeah, get back on tithing now. Verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. I got saved on a Sunday night. How many of y'all got saved on Sunday night? Raise your hand. Look at that. All these folks in here, guys, aren't you glad we have church on Sunday night? Uh, uh, the same day of the week, being the first day of the week. When the, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Can I just stop before I read any farther and just say this? As further evidence, most of the time, and it can get on any time, but you know most of the time when it gets on around here, it's on Sunday night. Seems like the Lord just comes and stands in the midst around here on Sunday night. And I don't want to miss Sunday night church. Look at verse 20. Amen, preacher. I don't want to miss Sunday night church. Look at verse 20. And when he has so said, uh, he uh, showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. I like it when he shows up, don't you? Verse 21, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Boy, aren't you glad for the breath of God? He breathed on them. Saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. What's all that mean? Well, hang around for a minute. I want to get into this text tonight. Let's talk about this first Sunday night service on Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we look at this text that I've just read to you this evening, it's not at all what we would expect to find after we read the first 18 verses of this chapter. In the opening verses of this chapter, we read about all that has taken place on the morning of the resurrection. In those verses, we find that Mary has gone out early that morning to the tomb, and when she got there, she found that the stone had been rolled away. Now, Mary, in her mind, supposes, at least initially, that the Roman government has come, and they have actually removed or taken away the body of Jesus, and they have taken it to an undisclosed location. So she heads back to where the disciples are, and she tells Peter and John what she has found. Upon hearing what Mary has said, Peter and John run out to the tomb. John and Peter get in a race and they head out to the tomb. And when they get there, John just looks in the tomb. Peter, the Bible said, enters into the tomb. And sure enough, just as Mary has said, so they find it. The clothes of the Lord Jesus that he was buried in are there, but there is no Jesus in those clothes. They then return, I'm sure, wondering about all that is going on. What has happened? to the body of Jesus. Mary, however, goes back out and she stays at the tomb. And the Bible said as she does so, she's weeping. She's weeping. She's crying about what's happened. She looks inside the tomb. And this time, she doesn't see an empty tomb. She sees two angels sitting in that tomb. And they ask her, 
Why weepest thou? Then Mary turns around and she sees someone in the garden and she supposes him to have been the gardener, the caretaker of the cemetery. And then she is asked the same question. Woman, why weepest thou? Then somebody calls Mary's name. Oh, it's a voice. It's a voice that she's heard before. She then turns to see, and indeed, it is the risen Christ standing there with Mary in the garden. After a brief conversation then, she returns to tell the others what she has now seen. Now, what we're told or not told, maybe between verse 18 and verse 19 of this chapter, what we're not told is what Luke tells us over in Luke chapter number 20. Because over there we find that that same day there were two disciples that were walking back to the city of Emmaus. And they're all downhearted and they're down and they're dejected about all that has happened to the Lord Jesus. And as they're walking along, the Bible said that Jesus joins their company, but they do not know that it is him. They get home, they break bread, and the Bible said that Jesus reveals himself unto them that he has indeed risen from of the grave. The Bible says that they return quickly back to the city of Jerusalem and they begin to publish abroad what they have seen and what they have heard. In fact, as we consider this text tonight, there are now news is now pour, pouring in from all over. Sightings and encounters with the risen Christ. And the one conclusion that the, these disciples must reach is the fact that Jesus has now risen from the dead. That same Jesus that they saw beaten beyond recognition. That same Jesus that they saw put upon that cross and crucified. That same Jesus that they heard say, it is finished, and he bowed his holy head upon his holy breast, and he gave up the ghost. That same Jesus that died is now living again. Aren't you glad we're serving and worshiping a risen and resurrected Savior? Now, this text tonight, what we find in this text is not at all what we would think we would find after all that has now happened. In fact, I think we'd probably expect to read something like this. The disciples are now out in the streets of Jerusalem and they're shouting from the housetops as loud as they can that Jesus has risen from the dead. You would think you would have heard that in this text or maybe you would think something that we'd have read something like this. The disciples pulled all their money together and bought a column on the front page of the Jerusalem Journal, Monday morning edition, to say, Jesus, Jesus is now living again. But we find none of that in this text. None of that. In fact, we find, according to verse number 19, that these disciples are in an upper room behind locked doors because they're scared to death. The Bible said in verse 19, they were afraid. Now, with all that swirling in their mind, the reports, the eyewitness accounts, the testimonies of those who have seen Jesus, all of that is swirling in their minds, and yet they're behind locked doors. They're behind closed doors because they are afraid. Can I tell you what was wrong with these disciples? Their problem was this. They had the good news of the resurrection. Only problem is the good news of the resurrection didn't have them. Can I say that again? They had the good news of the resurrection. The only problem is the good news of the resurrection didn't have them. They had the facts of the resurrection. They just didn't have the fire. 
or the force of the resurrection. They had the theology of the resurrection. They just didn't have the doxology of the resurrection. But as we consider this picture in this text, I think we have a sad picture of what's going on in our world today. Because here we sit on this Easter Sunday night, millenniums later, and we sit in this building, and we're behind closed doors, and we sit in this place tonight. You would think that we would be shouting from the housetop, Our Savior lives, and yet we're like these disciples. We're sitting behind closed doors because we've got the good news of the resurrection. The good news of the resurrection just don't have us. Hey, we got the facts of it. We just don't have the fire of it. We got the theology of it. We just don't have the doxology of it. We, many times, before we get too hard on these old boys, many of us are just like these disciples. We sit behind closed doors for fear of the world around us. We ought to be out in the streets tonight shouting that Jesus lives. We ought to be proclaiming from the rooftops tonight, our Savior is alive. But we're living in a world today that, man, don't appreciate our testimony. We're living in a world today that, is in, that intimidates us and tries to get us to stay quiet. Let's just face it. We're living in a world today that most of us are just afraid uh, to even say a word about Jesus anymore because we don't want to be turned or titled as being intolerant. We don't want to be entitled, uh, titled as a fanatic, so we just stay quiet about our living Savior tonight. We're just like these disciples. But as I look at this text tonight, there are three great truths that I find here in this text. I want to share them with you tonight. Three truths that I find from that first Sunday night service after the resurrection. Let's see three things. First of all, I put this down. Number one, don't be afraid. We have the presence of Jesus. Don't be afraid. We have the presence of Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us in verse 19, once again, that these disciples on that resurrection Sunday night service, they were sitting behind closed doors because their hearts were filled with fear and anxiety. And by the way, I think their fears were really legitimate to them. I mean, they have just seen what has happened to their Lord. They've just seen what's happened to their master. They knew about the arrest. They knew about the trial. They knew about the beating. They knew about the death. And they, as the, as the followers of Jesus, probably thought, man, they're going to do the same thing to us. The Bible said they were afraid. I don't think I'd miss it far to say this in old-fashioned Forsyth County terminology. They were scared to death. And there they sit, behind those closed doors, inside of that room, that night of the Sunday night service of the resurrection. And then we read in verse 19, Jesus showed up. Jesus came and stood in the midst of those disciples. You know, Jesus has a way of finding himself in the midst. Can I say that again? He has a way. I, the first time we read about that, remember that in Luke chapter 2 when his mom and daddy's going up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover and, and then the Bible said they, they went about a three days journey away and they, they, they uh, uh, forget, I'm sorry, they uh, took a three days journey to get there and they went about a day's journey away and they come back, they, they realize they've left Jesus behind and they come back and the Bible said they find him sitting in the midst of the doctors and the lawyers, both hearing them and asking him, he's in the midst. I think about later on, a few years later, when Jesus said, well, there's two or three gathered together in my name. Look out, I'm going to be 
He's got his way of getting in the middle of things. I read about on Calvary. The Bible said he was crucified between those two thieves. Boy, have I preached about that lately. But the Bible said between those two thieves, Jesus was in the midst. And then in Revelation chapter 1, if that ain't enough, I'm talking about the resurrected Christ. The Bible said, and those seven golden candlesticks which represents the, the church age, the Bible said that Jesus was in the midst of those candlesticks. He's got his way of getting in the midst, friend. I pray when we get together for church, Jesus will be in the midst. We need him here. We can't do this without him. I've said before the difference between a live service and a dead service is when Jesus gets in the midst. Pray. Every time you pray and pray about church, pray Jesus will be in the midst. Praise God. He came and stood in the midst. I like that. Don't be afraid. We got the presence of Jesus. He's standing in the midst. Look at this. I thought about this in verse 19. When Jesus showed up that night, he did three things for those disciples. First of all, number one, he calmed their fears. Notice the first words out of his mouth when he come there in verse 19. The first thing he said to them is this, peace be unto you. In other words, he said, I want you to have peace. You don't have to be afraid. In fact, if you look down again in this same chapter, in verse number 21, he says it again. That shows you how afraid they were. He said, all right, now I done told you one time, but you didn't get it. So let's say one more, one more say, say this one more time. Peace be unto you. Aren't you glad tonight I hear the same stuff on TV you hear? The CDC has predictions of doom and gloom on the horizon as the coronavirus surge makes a, a, another round and a great impact. Jesus said, peace be unto you. I get it. What's his name is in the White House. And Koala the bear is by his side. I get all of that. And they're undoing everything that's just been done. And our country's in the midst of chaos. And there's uprisings and riots. And there's all types of stuff going on. Jesus would say, hey, don't worry about that. Peace be unto you. I'm not finding that in the pill bottle, bless your heart. I'm not going to find that in some liquor bottle. I'll tell you where we find peace. We find peace in the one who's standing in the midst. He has the ability to calm our fear. Aren't you glad for that? He can calm our fears. Number two, not only did he calm their fears, number two, he cured their doubts. Look again at verse number 20. The Bible said, and when he had said so, and I don't think this is accidentally put in the scripture. In verse number 20, he showed unto them his hands and his feet. Now, why did he do that? Why would he say, all right, peace be unto you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, looky here. And he shows them his hands, shows them his side, and he shows them his feet. Why do you think the Lord would do that to his disciples? I'll tell you why. Because some of those disciples did not believe that he had indeed risen from the dead. Over in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 17, we read this, and when they saw him, they worshiped. Speaking of the disciples, when they saw him, they worshiped. But some didn't get it. Some doubted. I think maybe the reason Jesus said, all right, I just want to prove to you it's me. It's not a ghost. It's not, it's not a hallucination. It's not a figment of your imagination. Looky here. Hands, side, feet. Understand, I have indeed 
risen from the dead. May there be no doubt about it. I am back. Amen. They done thought they'd done away with me. They thought they'd seen the last of me, but they just didn't know. I am back. It is indeed me risen from the dead. Here's my hand. Here's my side. Here's my feet. Don't doubt. Don't, don't disbelieve. Understand. I am back. He cured their doubt. You know, we're living in a day of great doubt. People are doubting. People are fearful. As I said a moment ago, people are doubting. People doubt their salvation. People doubt what God can do. People doubt that God loves them. All kinds of doubt today going around. And aren't you glad we got a Savior that when you get into his presence, all doubts fade away because he can calm our fears. He can cure our doubts. But then I like this. Not only did he calm their fears and cure their doubts, he caused their joy. I get it. Don't, don't get excited about all that. But I mean, here's I, I what he did. Look at verse number 20. The Bible said, and then and the last phrase there said, then were the disciples glad. They wasn't mad. They weren't sad. They were glad. I'm telling you, he caused them. I mean, one moment, watch this. One moment they was pouting. One moment they was afraid. One moment there was a great apprehension on their behalf. But the next moment, all the terror, all the fear is gone. And the next moment, they were glad. Hey, I want to tell you something. When you get around him, you can't help but be glad. The Bible said in Psalm 16, verse number 11, in thy presence, in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus is fullness of joy. You can't help but be glad when you get in the midst of Jesus and he gets in our midst. Let me tell you something. Somebody's going to get glad when Jesus shows up. Oh, I know, they'll get some mad. I get it, some will get sad. But let me tell you, in this crowd right here, most of us will be glad when Jesus gets in the midst. Don't be afraid. We have the presence of Jesus. Number two, don't be addled. We have the plan of Jesus. You see, that night when he showed up, when he showed up that night, Jesus said, now I got a plan for y'all. Now, since all this has happened, my death, my resurrect, my burial, my resurrection, since all this has happened, I just want you to tell you something. I got a plan for you. And look at verse 21. Here's his plan. Then Jesus, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. Then he says this, as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jesus said, now here's my plan, boys. Gather together. Now let's have a huddle. Let's draw this plan up. Here's the play. Here's what we're going to do. My father sent me. And now look at me now, y'all. It's me. I'm back. I'm sending you. I've got a job for you to do. Hey, Jesus didn't just say, I'm back. Hey, let's all get together and hoop and holler. I'm for hooping and hollering. Thank God. We got something to hoop and holler about. But can I tell you something? Let's hoop and holler in here. But let's get out yonder and let's do the plan of God for our lives. What was it? Jesus said, as my father had sent me. Question, why did God the Father send God the Son? Two reasons. Number one, to reveal the Father. And number two, to represent the Father. 
Jesus came into this world to reveal what God was like. You know, we have the Bible, and thank God for the Bible, but the two greatest way that God, well, really three, the skies, the stars reveal God, the scriptures reveal God, but perhaps the greatest way God chose to reveal himself was when he sent his son into the world. And Jesus said, I, I'm, I'm here. I want y'all to know the Father. This is what the Father is like. That's the reason he made this statement in John chapter number 14. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, I and my Father, John chapter 10 and verse number 30, Jesus said that I and my Father are one. Jesus said, I just want to tell you, I come down here to make the Father known unto you. I came to reveal the Father, but I'm not going to stop there. I came to represent the Father. Now, can I tell you something? That's God's plan for our life. For us to get out here in this everyday world that we live in and, number one, reveal what God is like. How do we do that? We do it the way Jesus did. We act. We act godly. We live godly. And we represent the Father. By, by so doing, by living in such a manner, we represent the Father as we reveal the Father to those around us who are lost. Let me ask you something. Are you doing a good job of representing the Father? Are you and I, are we doing a good job of representing and revealing the Father? Jesus said this, again, John 14, verse 9. I'm, I'm almost done, but he said this. He that has seen me hath seen the Father. Hey, when people look at you, who do they see? When people look at us, who or what do they see? Do they see nothing different than they see in the other people in this world? Or do they see the Father in us? The Bible said that we by our good works, we show men by our good works. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they might be, may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. You and I ought to set about so to live our lives every day that as people look at us, not that we're trying to call attention to ourselves, it's not about us, but the way that we act, how we handle situations, how we respond to things, our actions and our reactions, we ought to be a good representation. We ought to be a good revelation of who the Father is. Question, when people look at you, who do they see? Do they see Jesus or do they see the devil? When they hear you talk, do they hear, do they hear the tone of Jesus or do they hear the tone of the devil? When they see how we live, do they see Jesus in us or do they see the devil in us? Hey, God help us. Jesus said, I got a plan. And my plan is now for us to get out from behind these closed doors, get out here in this world, because the same God that sent me is now sending you. I'm sending you. Get out there and represent me. Get out there and tell people about me. Can I have an amen? I, I know it got quiet on that point, and I get it. But we're, that's what we're supposed to do as God's people. Hey, watch this. Don't be afraid. We have the presence of Jesus. Don't be addled. We have the plan of Jesus. And then number three, watch this. Don't be anemic. We have the power of Jesus. Now look what happens in this text. Man, what a Sunday night service. Look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Can I stop and say that word breathe has occurred another time in our Bible? You remember after God created Adam in the Garden of Eden? 
And the Bible said he, he, caught, he, uh, he uh, scooped up Adam out of the dust of the earth. And there Adam was, but he was lifeless and he was motionless. He was just a, a lump of clay. But the Bible said, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living soul. Now we read over the New Testament, here are these disciples. They're lifeless sitting in that upper room. They're motionless. They're bound by their fears. And the Bible said that Jesus breathed upon them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you something, friend. When the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, he imparts power. He imparts life. He imparts motion to that which formerly had no life and was motionless. I want to tell you, God has a power for us to accomplish the plan that he has for us. And that power is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be anemic. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be addled. And we don't have to be anemic. You know why? Jesus rose again from the grave. We have a power that is available to us. And by the way, you say, did it work? Did it work? You remember right after this, a few days after this, Jesus caught a cloud and went back to heaven. I felt sorry for those people over here at the Ascension last night. I didn't get to see everybody around here last night, but I, they, they sat over there, the ones on the ground sat there for two and a half hours like this right here. And poor old Brian was standing over there the whole time doing I thought, man, they have got to be tired when they get home. But can you just imagine that crowd that was there that day that Jesus ascended? And Jesus said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to tarry, wait, until you be endued with power from on high. And 10 days later, after Jesus caught that cloud and went back to heaven, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, guess what? The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And you talk about a bunch of cowards. That's what those disciples were. But can I tell you something? God has his ways of turning weaklings into witnesses. God has a power that will turn those fearful failures into faithful followers. And by the way, on that day of Pentecost, something happened to them, oh boys. They left that upper room, got down there in that street, started preaching about the risen Savior, and 3,000 people got gloriously saved by the grace of God. There's a power available to us. A power most of us, I know the Holy Spirit lives in us. I get that. But most of us know little, very little about the power of the Holy Spirit because we live such anemic lives. You remember me a couple of weeks ago talking about Superman? Or I think I did. If I didn't, I'm going to talk about him now. But I'll tell you what, old Superman, before he was Superman, he was Clark Kent. Was that not pitiful? Lois Lane bossed him around unmercifully. He is scared of his own shadow. I'm telling you, he was weak. He was pathetic. He was pitiful. He was puny. He was powerless. He was Clark Kent. But when that old boy went into that telephone booth, something happened to him. He went in, Clark Kent, he came out, praise God, Superman. And most of us live our Christian life on the Clark Kent level. Pathetic, pitiful, puny people. And we struggle along. And the devil says boo. And it's like, we're scared. 
We, we, we dare not mention the name of Jesus outside of these four walls. We try to keep it to ourselves because we're afraid of what people might think or we, we're afraid about what people may say about us. Man, we need to get back into that. We need to go to the telephone booth. We need to get the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. Jesus needs to breathe on us and say, receive. And guess what? You received him, the Holy Spirit, when you got saved. And God has a power available to us to help us to be emboldened for the name of Jesus. God's plan is not for me and you to be weaklings. God's plan is for us to be witnesses. God's plan is not for us to be failures. God's plan is for us to be followers, faithful, fearless followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you worry. Don't be anemic. There is the power of Jesus. And all this happened that first Sunday night service. Isn't that amazing? Now jump down to verse 23. And Jesus said this, Whosoever... Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. What in the world does that mean? Do we have the power to forgive sins? Well, I guess in a sense, when people come to us and ask our forgiveness in a way, we have the power to give our human forgiveness to them. I guess in a way, we, in that sense, humanly speaking, we have the ability to forgive their sin toward us. But I can't forgive their sin toward God. I'm not a papa dressed like a mama in a booth with a curtain. I can't recommend go do this, go do that, say this, say that, count this, count that. I have, I, and by the way, those people can't do it either. We know according to the Bible, there's only one that forgives sin. And that's God. So what's he saying here? I think he's saying simply this to you and to me. We have the power, the ability to announce to people who have repented and trusted Jesus that their sins have been forgiven. In other words, here's what I'm saying. Jesus performs the miracle. All we do is proclaim the message. You know what? I have the ability to look at people and say, hey, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to live with all that guilt. You can be forgiven. What am I doing? I'm proclaiming the message. And I say to them, if you'll bring all that to Jesus, he can do the miracle of forgiving you of your sins. Amen. He does the miracle. I just preach the message. You know, every Sunday morning, I invite people to come and be saved. I invite people to leave their old life, their old messes, pick all that stuff up, bring it to Jesus. I say that constantly around here. Pick that mess up and bring it to Jesus, and he'll forgive you. You know what I'm doing? I'm proclaiming the message of forgiveness. Only he can perform the miracle of forgiveness. What a blessing. Hey, I've got that ability. You've got that ability. We don't have to be afraid. Our Savior lives. Boy, wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall on that first service of that Easter Sunday night. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God.